11. If you don't have a Bible, that's fine. The words of the text will be projected onto the screens. But John chapter 11, verses 17 to 27, we are concluding our our Lenten series uh, titled I Am, looking at the I Am statements of Jesus in the, in the Gospel of John. And so we uh, conclude that series on this Easter Sunday by looking at his statement, I am the resurrection and the life. And before we uh, read God's word, I invite you to bow with me, if you would, as we ask for the Spirit's anointing. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, how good it is to sing praises to you and to celebrate the hope that we have on this glorious day, this Easter Sunday, the day that, you, that we remember and celebrate your triumph over the grave. And I pray now, O oh Lord, as we turn our attention to your word, that you would breathe even deeper into us that hope and that joy. O oh Lord, may your spirit be at work through these words in the Gospel of John, and may they bear fruit in us, O oh Lord. May they be planted deep in us and bear fruit of deep and lasting hope and joy and trust as we come together under your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you're able, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. John 11, beginning at verse 17, this is uh, after Lazarus has died. And so John says, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. You may be seated. In the book uh, Mockingjay by Suzanne Collins, Katniss grieves the death of her young sister Prim. And after she has died, she, she, uh, Katniss goes into the home where, where Prim used to live. And, and she enters into the home and she sees in the home Prim's cat, Buttercup. And the sight of that cat brings to the surface all of her rage and all of her grief over the loss of her sister. And she's furious at that cat, and she begins to shake and tremble, and tears pour down her cheeks. And she says to that cat, she's not coming back. She's never coming back here again. She's dead, you stupid cat. She's dead. And we see in that scene the deep pain that death 
causes. The gaping hole that it leaves in those who are still living. And that's what we find in the account of Lazarus as well this morning. The account takes place, John tells us, in the village of Bethany. And as you can see on the map, uh, Bethany was very close to the city of Jerusalem. In fact, John says it was less than two miles away uh, from the city of Jerusalem. And you can also see on the map that it was a very uh, mountainous terrain, very hilly country where Bethany was located. And in fact, um, if you look at uh, this other map, the little red bubble there uh, uh, is pointing to the Mount of Olives. And as you can see, Bethany was on the east, to the east of the Mount of Olives, and Jerusalem was just to the west of the Mount of Olives. And so even though it was very close to Jerusalem, it had, uh, the village of Bethany had sort of this, this quiet and quaint feel to it because it was tucked behind the hillside, sort of sheltered from the hustle and bustle of Jerusalem by the Mount of Olives. And it was a small village that, that may have looked something like this. And it was a place of refuge for Jesus many times throughout his ministry. And John tells us that it was the hometown of his good friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And we know that Jesus was close to these three siblings because John tells us that he loved each of them. And when Lazarus became sick, the sisters sent word to Jesus saying, Lord, the one you love is sick. And if we're familiar with this story and as we uh, read this morning, we know that the sickness of Lazarus resulted in death. And so as we enter into this scene on this Easter Sunday, we see death for what it is. It is a bitter enemy. When, La when Jesus arrived in Bethany, John says that Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. And it's a significant statement because uh, there's significance to the fact that it had been four days that, that Lazarus had been dead. Because the Jewish rabbis of Jesus' day uh, taught that after a person died, the soul hovered or lingered near the body for three days in the hope of entering back into it, the hope of resuscitation. But after three days, when decay was beginning to set into the body, the soul would leave, and all hope of resuscitation was gone. And so the fact that Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days indicates the absolute finality of his death, and it places him beyond this, this rabbinic hope of resuscitation. And as Jesus entered Bethany, Martha went out to meet him. And we hear the ache of sorrow and disappointment in her words when she said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Lord, we've seen what you, what you were able to do. We, we know that at your command, the, the, the storm stands still and demons scatter and, and sickness and disease is healed. We know that all authority over disease and darkness lies in your hand. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And there are some who see in these words of Martha sort of an edge or a sting of rebuke, but I don't think that's the case at all. I think they're simply words dripping with sorrow and disappointment over the bitterness of death. She simply states the agonizing fact, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died because we've seen you do it before. And I believe, I see no reason why not to believe that you would have healed him. But for whatever reason, you weren't here, and he is gone. 
And how many times have we echoed that pain in the face of death? Oh Lord, if the car had sped through that stop sign just five seconds earlier, my brother would not have died. If the diagnosis had come just a couple months earlier, my father would not have died. If the paramedics had been able to make it just a little bit sooner, my my wife would not have died. We hear in Martha's words the authentic disappointment that comes from a faith in the one who could have prevented death but didn't. And as the scene continues, we see more glimpses of death as a bitter enemy. John tells us that after Martha's encounter with Jesus, Mary went out to meet him as well, and she was accompanied by a large group of people who were mourning with her. And John says that when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So she repeats verbatim the words of her sister Martha. But the scene with Mary is charged with even more emotion. She falls at Jesus' feet. The same feet that she had sat by on another occasion when Jesus was teaching and her sister Martha was busy making preparations. And the same feet that on another occasion she would anoint with expensive perfume and wipe with her hair. The feet of the one that she loved so deeply and to whom belonged all of her devotion. And John says, and when, Mary, when Jesus saw Mary weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And the word weeping there conveys the, the loud wailing and the cries of lament. Uh, it was the habit of the day to express your grief in a really loud and noisy and unrestrained manner, just sort of this, this wailing, bemoaning, uh, pu- very public and, and loud expressions of grief. And with such a large group of people, it must have been quite a scene of anguish and sorrow. And when Jesus took it all in, John says he was deeply moved. And the phrase deeply moved is a translation of a Greek word that means literally to snort with anger. It it typically indicates a strong feeling of concern, often with the implication of indignation. So it's a word that, 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 that is closely tied to anger, that communicates anger. So it suggests that Jesus was angry. But the question is, well, what was Jesus angry about? There are some who say Jesus was angry at Mary and Martha and the other mourners because of their lack of faith. But frankly, that's just not consistent with the rest of the scene. What we see here in Jesus is tenderness and compassion and really no hint of anger and rebuke. And so I believe the best understanding is that Jesus was angry at death. And he was having this visceral reaction to the, to the ravaging destruction that death inflicts on his beloved creation. He was the one through whom and for whom all things were made in the beginning when God said, it is good and it is good and it is beautiful and it is good. And now Jesus looks on this beloved creation and he sees it torn and shredded and ripped apart by death and he's angry because he saw death as the bitter enemy that it is, the the greatest enemy of mankind, the last enemy to be destroyed, as the Apostle Paul says, an enemy that in just a few days Jesus himself would confront head-on at the cross. 
And we see in this reaction of Jesus that death is indeed a bitter enemy. In the words of William Lane, death is the devil's henchman who bludgeons humanity into submission. And like Jesus, there's something within us that rightly cries out against this enemy. It cuts us deeply, it wounds, and it stings. And we we see its evil face in the images of war with bodies strewn across the streets. We hear its haunting cry in hospital rooms where every beep and buzz signals the fact that death is looming. And we feel its cold grip and the lowering of caskets into the ground. As humans in a fallen world, we have no choice but to contend with this enemy of death. And we see in this account of Lazarus that Jesus is with us in our contending. Jesus records, or John records in verse 35, which is the shortest verse of the Bible, but one of the most profound that Jesus wept. It is one of the most profound statements in Scripture because it shows Jesus' compassion his empathy with humanity, Jesus weeps with us. He aches for those who grieve and suffer and mourn. And he's able to empathize with us in our pain because he himself endured the the deepest possible form of human suffering. In the words of Peter Weiner, what Christianity has to offer in response to shattering events is not a philosophical or formulaic answer. It offers a cross, a wounded Savior, a man of sorrows familiar with suffering. Jesus wept. And we see in his tears the deep empathy of one familiar with our pain. But of course, the story doesn't end there, does it? The the, the pain and the sting and the woundedness of death is not the last word. The message in the account of Lazarus and the message of Easter Sunday is that death is an enemy, but it's an enemy that Christ came to conquer. R.C. Sproul once said that life is so precious that there beats within every human heart a hope that there will be victory over the grave. Life is so precious that there beats within every human heart the hope that there will be victory over the grave over the grave. And we find that hope in our text this morning. We see it in both the the words and the actions of Jesus. We see it first in his words. Into the shattered pieces of Martha's pain and grief, Jesus speaks. And he said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will, will never die. Notice that Jesus does not simply say that he will give resurrection and life. He says he is the resurrection and the life. He holds within his being the the, the power of life itself and power over death. And the moment someone receives Jesus in true faith and trust, that person has in that moment passed over from death to life, from spiritual death under God's wrath to to everlasting life in God's kingdom. This is what John said back in chapter 5 when he said, Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has, notice the present tense, has in this moment, the moment of belief, has eternal life and will not be judged in the future, but has past tense already and that moment of belief crossed over from death to life. To receive Jesus in true faith is to enter into life in his name so that death loses its power over you. 
And so for the believer, what Jesus is not saying that you will never physically die. What he is saying is that for the believer, physical death is merely the gateway to everlasting life. Someone told me recently about Kintsugi. Does anybody here know what Kintsugi is? Oh, okay. All right. So Kintsugi, I thought this was fascinating. It's the ancient Japanese art of mending broken pottery with gold. And so if you break a piece of pottery, what was once beautiful and, and whole becomes broken and, and shattered and scarred. But if you, you, you can take those broken pieces and put it back together and, and, and fill in the cracks and the flaws with gold. And in this way, not only are the wounds mended, but the end result is something even better and even more beautiful than before it was broken. And that's what death is like. For those who belong to God and Christ, it's kintsugi. Death is like broken pottery, leaving us wounded and cracked and shattered. But God is the master craftsman who mends all the broken pieces with gold. And in the end, even the wounds of death are made into something beautiful in the lives of those who belong to him. I am the resurrection and the life, Jesus said. Whoever believes in me will live even though he dies. And then he asked Martha a, a penetrating question, a question that still penetrates all who hear it this Easter Sunday. He said to her, do you believe this? And how he answered that question is the difference between haunting despair and living hope. Death is a bitter enemy, but it's an enemy in the hands of a sovereign God who has conquered it in Christ. And for those who believe, it is but the gateway to an even better life. And so we, we see this, this hope of victory over the grave in, in Jesus' words, but we also see it in his actions. John says that Jesus came to the tomb, which was a, a cave with a vertical face with a stone laid across the entrance, and it probably looked something like this, and there are some debate and discussion about what type of stone was used. There, there were many different types of tombs in Jesus' day. This was probably the kind that was used for Lazarus, also similar to what was used probably for Jesus. There's some discussion about the type of stone. Uh, some say that it was a circular disc-like stone like this uh, in Lazarus's tomb. Others say that the language John uses indicates it was more just a kind of a block, a big block-like stone that was simply placed in front of the opening. We, we don't know for certain but it would have looked probably something at least similar to this. Whatever kind of stone it was, John says that Jesus ordered the stone to be taken away. And so they took away the stone, and Jesus prayed to his Father. And then John says that Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! And what John records next is one of the greatest miracles that Jesus ever did. He says, the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And it's almost, if we take a moment just to sort of enter into the scene, it's almost a, a, a comical scene. Because here's Lazarus alive and well, but still wrapped in the grave clothes, the, the linen cloth still wrapped around his face, maybe awkwardly kind of strewn about his face and maybe walking awkwardly out of the tomb if his legs are still wrapped as well, kind of shuffling like a penguin. 
and how silly the grave clothes must have looked on this one who's now living. But the truth that created that scene is something that changes the entire landscape of life in this wounded world because what we see in that scene is life conquering death. At the command of Jesus, the the cold and lifeless heart of Lazarus began to beat again. Nerve impulses that had ceased began to, to race through his body once more and his decaying flesh that was decomposing became whole and healed the body that had been beyond any hope of resuscitation according to the Jewish rabbis of the day was brought to life at the command of Jesus. The dead man came out. And there at the tomb, the mourners came face to face with the one who came to fulfill what the prophet Isaiah promised, that the enemy of death would be swallowed up in victory. And so the miracle of Lazarus foreshadows what Christ himself would do just a few days later. The very thing we celebrate this Easter Sunday. Like Lazarus, his dead body would walk out of the tomb, raised to life again. And with his resurrection, he brought victory over death to all who put their trust in him. And that hope of victory beyond the grave changes Everything. Death is a bitter enemy, but it's an enemy in the hands of our sovereign God who's conquered it in the risen Christ. I want to conclude this morning with a very, very mundane and ordinary story, and I hope it, I hope it lands. I hope it communicates the message I want it to convey. So I recently purchased a, a bed liner for my truck on Craigslist, and I wanted to get it in, put in place before our trip to Kentucky, which is we're leaving today. So I was kind of anxious to get this thing you know, put in there so I could have it all ready for our trip. But as I began to engage the process, I realized that in order to get that bed liner in, you have to take, take out the, there's the, the four locking tie-down cleats that are in the bed of the truck. There's four of them, one at each corner, and you have to take those out in order to get the bed liner in, which would be no problem except for the fact that, that I don't have the key. I don't know why they're locking, why like people are going to steal a little tie-down cleat, but I guess people think they will, so they're lockable. And I don't have a key. So the previous owner apparently didn't leave it with a truck. I looked in every nook and cranny, and I found it nowhere. And when I was sure that there was no key to be found, I decided to call the local Ford dealers, and there are many of them. I called every single Ford dealer within an hour of here, and not a single one had a key. And the more I tried to attain this elusive key, the more frustrated I became. And I thought to myself, well, how could it be that this whole project hinges on this one little key? And how could it be that that the whole situation is hopeless without it? Well, here's the point. In the face of death in our fallen world, our situation is hopeless without the key that loosens the grip of death on us. But it's into this hopelessness that the risen Jesus speaks in the words of Revelation chapter 1 and says, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I'm alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys. 
of death and Hades. May we live in the living hope of the one who holds the keys. To God be the glory. Let's bow together. Oh, Lord Jesus, I can't imagine life without the hope of the empty tomb. And on this Easter Sunday, oh, Lord, I pray that you would breathe that hope deeply into us, the hope of victory beyond the grave, the hope, oh, Lord, that transforms all of the brokenness that we experience in this life. The hope, O oh Lord, that you are the one who is dead and is now alive again. You've been crowned with many crowns, triumphant over the grave. O oh Lord, may we live in that triumph and lead us ever onward and upward in it. In your risen and glorious name we pray. Amen.